Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview some of the most successful people in the world, and I thank you for joining us. This show is dedicated to helping you make your vision a reality. Now, a visionary is someone who thinks about or plans the future with imagination or wisdom. As your pathfinder, I want to help you on your vision path to make the best future for you. And you can listen to all of our shows on most podcast platforms. And if you have Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. If you like what you hear, a kind review really makes my day. And it will make your day too. I guarantee that. Now, before we get going, here's a big thank you to some amazing sponsors of our show. Please stay tuned for an important message from Ancestry DNA, who connects you to the places in the world where your story started. And coming up is a significant message from ClearBank, who's changing the way entrepreneurs raise money with equity-free capital. Isn't that cool? More info on them just ahead, so please stay tuned. Today's show is about the health coach and rule makers, rule breakers with Omar Cumberbatch and Michelle Gelfand. Let's see what we can learn through the success of others. I'll have a short summary at the end of today's interviews to discuss how these successful entrepreneurs are following their vision path to success. Here's some info on Omar Cumberbatch. Omar Cumberbatch, founder of the Health Coach Academy, is a professional health coach and radio talk show host. He received his training from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, IIN, where he was trained in more than 100 dietary theories and studied a variety of practical lifestyle coaching methods. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Omar. I am so glad to have you on with us. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much, Tony. The pleasure is mine. This is a great subject. I have some good questions I'm going to surprise you with perhaps and I want to let our audience know while we're all interested in business there's some great things in terms of health and business I'm going to cover those in just a moment but first things first Omar we would all love to know how did it all start for you what's your backstory well my backstory is really one of just failure when it comes to achieving my goals in health so I'm just one of those people who I run through a wall until I get something done, which is not the approach that you should do by any stretch of the imagination, especially when it comes to health and weight loss and just trying to get into a better place in your life. So I I, I kind of do the backstory is I was always kind of into athletics and I, I, I don't have a problem working hard for any results whatsoever, but I just was not getting any results. And I was doing everything really, really by the book, um, reading all the mainstream articles about health and wellness, and I just wasn't getting anywhere. And I stumbled upon somebody who was on YouTube at the time named Sean Croxton, who eventually had one of the, I think he had the number one health and wellness podcast at one point. And I just stumbled across this YouTube video about sugar and the health uh, impact that it has. And I just took an assessment of myself. I'm like, wow, I really taken a lot of sugar. From that day forward, I really started minimizing my sugar intake and my body completely changed. My health got better. It was just an amazing turnaround. And it just fascinated me to such a degree that I can just change one component of something I was doing daily and I have all these wonderful results. So then I went to um, sign up for the Institute for Integrative Nutrition became a health coach and like they say, the rest is history. <laughs> so that's kind of my backdrop to get kind of stumbling upon becoming a health coach. At the time, I had no idea what a health coach was. And it's really been a great blessing in my life to, to be able to share information that I learned through school and just through my life experience about just getting better, getting healthier and really just being the best self. And I, I really love that part of it for sure. Very interesting story there, Omar. And in sugar, uh- I've been doing some research myself. Maybe we'll talk about a little bit more about that, but it seems to be something that helps fuel the fire in terms of cancer and cancer growth. And I love to talk about that. But right before we go into that and some nutritional components for our audience, 
Can you better explain what's a health coach? I mean, we understand a consultant, a business coach, a startup coach, a mentor, this and that, but a health coach, it's kind of new to me and I should know more about it. So what does a health coach do? Well, it's funny you said that because I was going to pretty much describe it as ju- just like that, actually, because you know what? They're, business coaches are known, like uh, mentors and stuff are you know very well known. Health coaches are actually getting way more popular at this point, and they really are just coaches to help you reach your health goals. Now, everyone's goal is totally different as far as the health goes. Um, I specifically uh, am a weight loss specialist, so I basically focus on whatever someone wants to lose as far as weight goes. I'm an expert in in accomplishing that feat. So my specific niche is, is just in the weight loss field. And that's really what you do because it's very easy to have a diet plan and tell you, hey, Tony, don't eat this, don't eat that. But you really get a lot more benefit when you're actually coaching a person and helping them deal with some of the hurdles that something like that entails. And you just mentioned sugar, of course, and that's one of my key things to, to reduce or eliminate. If, if possible, you just can't turn around and just say, okay, I'm not going to eat a cupcake anymore. It's not, you know, especially when you're addicted to sugar, which is, you know, basically if uh, and, and, uh, any under condition would be probably considered a drug just because of this addictive properties. A health coach would be that person who actually walks you through the obstacles that you will have when you're trying to wean yourself off some of these things. And they're really there to guide you and have you accountable and hold you accountable and really just kind of tell you what to expect in this process. So that's really what a health coach is. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. And with the weight situation of most people, most Americans and most people in the world, we mm-hmm. need you. We need lots of you, Omar. We need <laughs> to clone God. you. And just, we, we need that mentor there going, okay, no more of this. You've already had enough. Okay. Cut it, cut this down. Yes. Now, this opens up a door, opens up a can of worms, goes down the rabbit hole. I see on your bio, you're trained in more than a hundred dietary theories. And what catches my attention right off the bat, Omar, why are there so many theories? Why isn't there just one good, proper way to eat and be healthy? What's your take on that? Well, you know what? Um, on my podcast that I have, this podcast, Birds Fat with Dr. Lori Shevick, we, we really get into this. You know, like every week, our guest, like you said, kind of brings a different perspective on how to, you know, to, to actually accomplish this. And what you do find is the common denominator is that we are all different. And what works for me might not work for you, might not work for the next person. Um, and I think that's really what happens. I think a lot of people have success with different types of diets. They want to broadcast that this is the diet that changed my life and it actually did. And then when you spread that out, like it might not work for you. So you do see certain people reacting to certain things. And that's really why there's so many different diets out there. It's just because like the author of these diets have a tribe. It works for them. But again, it might not work for anybody else. And there's just so many different variables. Like, for instance, like I know that you hear of... um, you know, gluten today, like a lot of people um, have issues with gluten. Um, some people don't like there's just certain things that might be good for me and just not good for you. So there is a lot of room for a debate. Um, I don't think that you'll ever have one diet that's ever going to fit everybody. And it's just you, you can just look at how eating patterns develop around the world. Everyone eats different diets and it seems to work for, for, for that particular person wherever they are or not. <laughs> but in this country in particular, um, I think one of the things that we can sort of agree with across the board, no matter which diet you subscribe to, is they're not going to tell you to eat potato chips. <laughs> you know, that's just not going to happen. So the less processed food, most diets that are successful are going to actually reduce the things that aren't considered food or, and they're actually food-like substances. So anything that doesn't, you know, die, um, you know, like it's, you could have a potato chips in your cupboard for months on end and it looks like potato chips, but any real food that you consume is going to waste away and rot and do that kind of stuff. And the more that we keep diets and at least in that realm, we're going to be better off. But I know that's a long-winded answer to that question, but ultimately that's why we have so many different dietary theories that work for so many different people. Well, thanks. You've just added more to the confusion. No, just, <laughs> just joking. Just There's so many do this, do that. The only thing that's ever worked for me, not that I have any issue, but the only thing that's ever worked for me was eating right for my blood type with four main blood types, your A, your B, your O, and your AB. 
there's different foods that are highly beneficial. And when I eat that way, my weight is really good and it's well maintained. When I go astray from that, I find that it's not as good for me. But that's just four methods or theories for the blood type. But so many over 100 and they and so many work for so many people. It's just amazing. You know, we're told to stay away from processed foods, but some don't have any success with weight on that. We're told stay away from glutens or carbs. Some of us totally remove it from our diets, have no success from that. We're told cut down on your sugar. We cut down on sugar. We don't see it. It's almost like a hit and miss. And I'm going to ask you another question that's possibly will help because it's kind of along the same line. And that is, I've looked through your shows. You've interviewed so many great people, such as Dr. David Friedman on Food Sanity. I've had him on my show. Great, oh, great, great communication. Oh, yeah. He's, he's amazing. And I love the titles of your podcast, by the way. I believe you have two. One's called This Podcast Burns Fat, and the other's called The Health Coach. Now, with all these great guests on your shows, and we've just talked a little bit about this, I want to know, are all of these great minds, great health experts, gurus, are they all going down that same path? And are they ending up at the same point on what we really should be eating and doing? Or do they really have hundreds or dozens of absolutely convergent theories on what we should do? Oh, they totally have different <laughs> theories. And it's funny that you bring up Dr. Friedman because his his most recent book, Food Sanity, really discusses that because he's he obviously has a huge radio show where he's, he's must have interviewed thousands of people and he just heard different theory after different theory and tried to bring his own sense of sanity to, to to eating and eating properly and he couldn't do it so i don't again like i know it's 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 a bad answer but nobody really can converge on something particularly like to, to say this is the diet and this is what it is because again it works your body's so different and sometimes which i'm learning just by interviewing people like it could be something just as a matter of at the end of the day, 20 years from now, they'll understand that maybe it's all about stress. And if you're stressed, you can't digest food as properly as you can. It might come down to that. We don't know. And it's like, it, that's why I think it's going to be interesting to have a final answer possibly one day. But I'm kind of leaning to the fact that we're all different and we all have certain requirements that are needed for us uh, to be optimal. And that's why the coaching profession is so popular now, too, because you know what? We can guide you through that process. If this diet A doesn't work, maybe we'll try B. Maybe we'll try this and kind of just keep on moving towards a goal that will actually be beneficial to that individual. So I know it's a bad answer, but <laughs> the oh, answer okay. still comes back. To, that's all right. I like not that. a universal. This is Omar Cumberbatch, the health coach, and you can find him at omarcumberbatch.com. And I'm going to spell that for you, Omar, O-M-A-R, Cumberbatch, C-U-M-B-E-R-B-A-T-C-H.com. It'll be in the show notes, omarcumberbatch.com. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about the health coach and Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, with Omar Cumberbatch and Michelle Gelfand. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Hey guys, I know I'm 100% Sicilian, but where did the original Diursals come from? I was told we came from France way, way back, but nobody was really sure. That's why I'm excited to see what Ancestry DNA can do for me. I know they're going to help me discover more and learn about my family roots. Did you know Ancestry DNA gives you so much more than just the places you're from? Ancestry connects you to the places in the world where your story started using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights. You can even trace your ancestors' journeys over time, following how and why your family moved from place to place. I would love to know that. So now you know why I'm so pleased with Ancestry DNA. In fact, starting a free trial and building a tree can enhance your DNA experience and help you learn a more complete story. Go to Ancestry.com podcast today for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. 
That's Ancestry.com slash podcast for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. That's Ancestry.com slash podcast. Enjoy the exploration. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn through the success of our guests today. Today's show is about the health coach and rule makers, rule breakers with Omar Cumberbatch and Michelle Gelfand. I can't get over how many dietary theories there are. Let's get back to Omar and find out more. Really good points. And you know, I just happened to, I wasn't really looking for anything health-wise. I just happened to run into the Budwig methodology diet and it's got 90% success rate on dealing with and handling cancer. I thought it was very interesting. I just checked into it for better understanding and also get some fodder for this interview. And two things I noticed. Well, first of all, the Budweig diet is 90% effective on cancer. So that's really interesting. And two of the things that are talked about, one is take out sugar, which we already know for those cancer savvy people, we know that sugar is the fuel for cancer and tumors to some degree. And I'm not a doctor. So If someone has a better way of explaining it, that's totally cool. Get on my show and we'll go over it. So remove sugar. And then the other point was not just processed foods, Omar, but what caught my attention was this doctor said it has great success. Any foods after 15 minutes of preparation, consume it or it's gone. In other words, don't eat leftovers. Don't eat processed foods, of course. Don't prepare something and then eat it throughout the whole week because after 15 minutes, it's got virtually zero nutritional value. That was a shocker to me. Yes, and I'm familiar with that, and um, it, it is very interesting. But it kind of gets back to what you know. You know, I, I kind of thought about, but not as radically. You know, um, like getting rid of it as, as soon as it's like not <laughs> consumable. But the, I should say between that 15 minute window. But they they're very much you know obviously sugar is something that they 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 shouldn't be dealing with you know, refined grains, cereals, stuff of that nature, we shouldn't be consuming because it, it doesn't have any nutritional value at, at that point. But yeah, it's, it's supposed to be an awesome um, diet for people who are dealing with cancer. And um, you, but, but again, like you had mentioned earlier about the thousands of, sorry, hundreds of theories. There's a lot of theories about cancer that, um, and diets that are appropriate for cancer treatments that you, you'll hear a variety of different approaches to it. And, you know, that's just one of the things that Mr. Oh, sorry, Dr. Budwig is actually having a lot of success with it. And I understand that it has a lot to do with, you know, the, the theory of like the pH in your, your blood and stuff like that as well, if I'm not mistaken. And that's a theory in itself as well. So there, there's just so many dynamics to, to nutrition that I think the best course, especially when you're dealing with something is to inform yourself of all the options and kind of just maybe, maybe try it. And that's one of the things that I also promote with clients is just to really observe how what you eat affects your body, your mood, your, your disposition, because that's basically your body telling you what it's, it's, it's doing. Is it nourishing my body or is it actually irritating my body? And one of the things that I feel that everybody should take stock in is just really even taking a food journal, kind of just get an idea of what these particular things that we're introduced to our body. How, how does it affect your body? How do you feel after work? If it makes you feel good, it's, it's something that you should have more of. If it makes you feel like crap, that's not where to go. Good points there. And I'm going to bring this all together for our business audience, the entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, medium-sized business owners. We're on the go. When we had a career at the cushy job, even though we could get laid off at any time, We had our half hour, 45 minutes or hour for meals. The busy entrepreneur, if you're successful, if you're really, really rocking, it's like, I don't think I spend more than three minutes eating lunch. I might be exaggerating. It could be four minutes. But it's just, you've got so much to do in your day. And the world, the business, everything is on your shoulders. And you got to run. What would you say is a good 
suggested health regimen food-wise for that entrepreneur, for that busy person who's go, 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 run, run, run. What suggestions would you have for that, Omar? Well, the one suggestion that I've always had, and I know, you know, it's still difficult being an entrepreneur and you're on the run and you're just on the go for sure. You just have to allot time to meal prep. And that's really what the key to a lot of this is, because what happens is when you're on the run and I'm speaking to the choir, like our choices are so scarce. Um, We just don't have the opportunity to get a healthy thing all the time or it's not as the snap in the fingers, especially, you know, if you're out and about and you're starving and you just want to grab the first thing, you're not really making the best choices. So what I have um, usually suggested for a lot of my clients who are fall into that category is try to do as much meal prep that you can. You know, th- there's just tons of things. Uh, I-, I could name a couple real quick that um, I find very helpful. Like just even just if, if you're, if you can just have some grilled chicken or just have salads available Chili's awesome. Like if you make chili, it's, it's, it's something that's freezable. It's something that you can heat up pretty quickly. Just make sure that you have enough food available that you could prepare so that you're not stuck in these situations where you're making bad decisions because you just don't have the time to do it. And again, I, we're, we're trying to make meals that are very simple to, to in that and not time consuming in this preparation as well. So that's kind of the thing that I say, try to be prepared and get ahead of that and just have healthy snacks, healthy things that you can eat for lunch or what, or, or even dinner. Cause you know, we, we work all day. <laughs> we just have to be conscious of that and really have more, be prepared on the front end so that you don't have to pay on the back end. Those are good points. And I totally agree on the meal preps with the meal preps all in place when you can eat efficiently and on the go throughout the whole week. And I know that's counter to the Dr. Budwig protocol diet here, but we've just at this point kind of have to navigate towards something more healthy and more healthy and more healthy. And even though you may not hit the top of the mountain, you've moved more towards more healthy. And I think that's part of the key is more healthy, more better. It may not be perfect. It's not the perfect world, but you're getting better and better and you're doing more. That makes you feel better. Hey, I cut down my sugar a little bit. Hey, I cut down some carbs more. I don't eat so many carbs. I don't eat bread anymore. Whatever it is, you know you're doing better, even though it's not the perfect lifestyle. Right. And, you know, we, we don't have to get caught up in the perfection component. of it. And I mean, my to a quick story, my wife is traveling today and she, she, she's got off the plane. She's starving. And now her options are like McDonald's and like another fast food restaurant. So she's stuck. I mean, again, like in, in that circumstance, you know, you might not have been able to prepare uh, the, the meal at that instance, but she just she's just kind of stuck right now. And we try to, to control as much as we can. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to just be something that if we can prepare it, and again, not, not being Dr. Budwig's diet per se, but it's, it's way better than making that choice and going to McDonald's and dealing with that consequence. Understand. I have that trouble when I travel abroad and I don't necessarily know all the places to eat. And if, if I'm mm-hmm. not in a heavy metro section with lots of restaurant choices, I have to really figure out where I'm going to go. There was a time I did eat at McDonald's. It was the only restaurant around. And when you've got to eat sometimes, you've got to eat. But you can still do better than worse. Look for salads. Look for something more simple. You know, believe it or not, Starbucks, and I'm not trying to plug them particularly, but Starbucks is getting more and more healthy choices. And if you're starving, they've got their little egg meals and healthy mm-hmm. things. So if you look, just separate all the other stuff, you can find that more healthy food when you really need it as, let's call it a last resort. No, absolutely. And, and I'm glad that you did bring up Starbucks because a lot of people are trying to understand the dilemma that you brought up. I mean, we're on the go. We, we want something small. Sometimes it's just to hold us over till we get home so we can actually eat something good, you know? And um, that's that's what they're trying to do, they're, they're, which is great because they're now marketing towards that and they're bringing products in that we can utilize and actually not make terrible choices and just make better choices than we would in the past. Good points indeed. This is Omar Cumberbatch, the health coach. You can find him at omarcumberbatch.com. I'm going to spell that again. O-M-A-R-C-U-M-B-E-R-B-A-T-C-H.com. Check it out. Omar, if someone wants to find out more about your services or contact you and get a chance to speak with you, they can do that through your site, correct? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. And I'm also on all the social media handles, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to get. <laughs> well, very good. Omar, thank you so much for giving us this information. When there's a big update in the industry, I would love to have you back. I think we're on a path. We've just sort of scratched the surface. We've just started that journey. I know there's better health choices ahead. I know there's more breakthroughs up ahead. I'd like to stay abreast of it. And please, when there's an important update, please circle back and let's get you back on. Oh, we'd love to be back on. I appreciate it. It was fantastic. Thank you. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about the health coach and rule makers, rule breakers with Omar Cumberbatch and Michelle Gelfand. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBank. ClearBank is changing the way entrepreneurs raise money with equity-free capital. Co-founder Michelle Romanow, star of Canada's Dragon's Den, that's the Canadian version of Shark Tank, she co-founded ClearBank with her partner, Andrew DeSouza. After seeing how many companies were willing to part with precious equity in exchange for a bigger marketing budget. ClearBank believes that founders shouldn't give up a piece of their company to fund marketing and inventory expenses. ClearBank makes equity-free investments from $10,000 to $10 million and can get you a term sheet in less than 20 minutes. That's amazing. They charge a small flat fee for the capital and you pay them back using a win-win rev share. I love that. And this is not a loan. There's no interest rate, no fixed maturation date, no personal guarantees, no credit checks, no financial covenants. ClearBank invested over $150 million last year, and they're on track to invest over $1 billion this year. And some of their notable portfolio companies are Public Goods, Lisa Sleep, Latote, Buffy, to name a few. So if you're doing over $10,000 a month in revenue, find out how you can receive ClearBank capital by getting your 20-minute term sheet at clearbank.com slash Tony. That's clearbank, B-A-N-C. Remember that C, clearbank.com slash Tony. And that we know is T-O-N-Y. Clearbank, stop pitching and get back to doing what you love. Grow your business. Clearbank.com slash Tony. Hey guys, check out my other shows at Tony, D-U-R-S-O.com. All sorts of good ones there from Successful Elite covering all sorts of categories. Check them out and tell me what you like best. I'd love to hear from you. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with Key Influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn through the success of our guests today. Today's show is about the health coach and rule makers, rule breakers, with Omar Cumberbatch and Michelle Gelfand. And now we have Michelle Gelfand join us. Michelle Gelfand is a distinguished university professor in psychology and the R.H. Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland, College Park. Dig this. Her work is cited over 20,000 times and featured in Washington Post, New York Times, Boston Globe, National Public Radio, Voice of America, Fox News, NBC News, ABC News, Morning Joe, The Economist, The Atlantic, Time Magazine, and a bunch more. Is that cool or what? Here we go. Welcome to the show, Michelle. So great to have a rule breaker on with us today. I'm excited (laughs) to chat about your great new book here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, this is an interesting subject. And, you know, I did a show not too long ago on intelligent disobedience. And it's a very Mm. interesting point. So I encourage the audience to check this out because we're going to shift your mind a little bit. But before we do that, I like to know first things first, Michelle, how did it all start for you? What's your story? (laughs) Well, I'm 
a sheltered kid from Long Island, also pronounced Long Island. Uh, and like actually, <laughs> I sort of, life happens to you making other plans. I was a, a junior at Colgate University. I was interested in pre-medicine. And I took a semester abroad. Um, and I was the first person in my family to leave the U.S. And I remember getting to London and feeling this tremendous amount of culture shock, even in London. And I remember calling my dad from Brooklyn. And I said, Dad, you know, it's weird, among other things, that people just go from London to Paris or to Amsterdam just for the weekend. And he said something that really changed my life. This one sentence. He said, well... Imagine like it's going from New York to Pennsylvania. And I thought, that's such an awesome metaphor that, and this is a true story, the very next day, I booked a trip from London to Egypt. <laughs> I said, Because <laughs> it's not? like Pennsylvania. I, I said, Dad, it's like going from New York to California. Don't worry about it. He was not too pleased about it. But I wound up traveling to Egypt on my own and went on a, a long tour and then traveled around the world. And I realized just how important culture is, but how invisible it is and how profound it is, but I know nothing about it. And by extension, myself. So I came back to Colgate and I decided to shift and become a cross-cultural psychologist and study culture using the best scientific tools available. And the rest is history. The rest is this <laughs> great book called Rule Makers, Rule Breakers. And the, the tagline is how tight and loose cultures wire our world. How is this? Let's let's talk about this. We understand tight and loose cultures, but the wire our world. What's the uh, analogy here? Can you draw this out for us? Well, you know, like I mentioned, culture is this powerful but invisible force. It's all around us and it affects us from the moment we wake up to the morning we go to sleep and everything from our politics to our parenting, our nations to our neurons. And so it really affects all aspects of our functioning around the world. And that's where that kind of part of the title comes from. You know, many of us think about culture in terms of rather superficial characteristics like red versus blue state or east versus west or rich versus poor. But I wanted to know, is there a deeper sort of principle that helps us to explain our differences? Um, and it has a lot to do with social norms and how tightly or loosely we adhere to them. And that's what the book is about, is how this very simple principle, tight and loose, can help us explain our national variation, our state variation, even variation in organizations and our own households. In fact, even our own tight and loose mindsets coming right back to us as individuals. So the book takes us through that journey of how we can understand how social norms affect and wire the world. I'm hearing the words and I'm trying to draw some parallels to this and like, how would we apply this? Not everyone goes around the world, but in our social media, we do. So maybe if I could use that as the example here, is there anything that we need to know when we do our social media in terms of other world cultures? Can we apply it to that? Social media as in like the internet? As in the internet where we're typing stuff on Facebook, we're doing posts on Instagram, Twitter, even LinkedIn and so forth like that. Is any of this yeah. applicable? Because not everyone necessarily travels. I've met people and go figure, they've never been out <laughs> of the country. So I'm thinking yeah. of application, like how would we apply this? Of course, in, in the United States where I'm broadcasting from, we have our own intercultures as well. So I'm just looking yeah. at the application factors. Sure, of course. So, I mean, I want to mention it doesn't, you don't need to travel to kind of discover this distinction. I'll just kind of back up and say, you know, all groups have social norms or these unwritten rules for behavior. And without knowing it, we follow social norms constantly. For example, we know to say hello and goodbye when we answer the phone, or we know to put clothes on when we go out in public, most of us. Uh, we know <laughs> not to have sex in movie theaters, that that's probably a no-no. And we know not to face backwards in elevators or and to drive on the right side of the road in, in most countries or on the left in others. And so we're constantly following these rules for behavior. And in fact, what's really fascinating is that we need social norms. As a species, social norms are the glue that keep us together. They help us to coordinate and predict each other in an unbelievable fashion. And we invented social norms to do this. But what's interesting is that some groups tend to veer tight. They have stronger rules and punishments when you don't abide by rules. And other groups are much more lax. They have much more permissiveness. Uh, and you can find that here in the United States. Uh, we actually classified the 50 United States in terms of tight and loose rather than red and blue. And we found, for example, that the South and some parts of the Midwest veered much tighter than the coast, which tend to veer loose. Uh, you can look at organizations and see that some organizations like airlines or nuclear power plants, um, manufacturing tend to veer tight. 
and others like in high tech veer loose. And what's really interesting um, is we've been trying to understand what causes groups to become tight or loose. And it turns out there's a pretty interesting explanation for why in all these contexts we can predict when groups will be tight or loose. And it turns out that that has a lot to do with how threatened groups are and how much coordination that they need. So, for example, in airlines, you need a lot of coordination. So you need a lot of rules or in the military in context where there's a lot of threats, like a lot of natural disasters like you find in the South, you need stronger rules to coordinate to survive. So that's just to say that we can find tight and loose in our own backyards. We don't need to travel abroad to see it. We could see it in organizations. We could see it in our own households. You know, are you a rule maker or a rule breaker? You can go on my website and take a tight, loose mindset quiz to figure that out and start thinking about why it might have you evolved uh, to have certain default tendencies on this continuum. How does this affect your relationships, um, your workplace? Uh, the match that you have in your mindset with those around you. Uh, there's lots of different conflicts that arise, even just based on our own mindsets and with others around us uh, that we can try to negotiate. And I try to talk a lot about that in the book, Rule Makers, Rule Breakers. I love it. And you know, the most important thing I've learned so far here on this talk is that I'm not supposed to stand in the elevator backwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should try it. I, uh, I recommend it. You will realize like just how amazing it is, how quickly people, especially in that context, will start giving you feedback. Uh, but nevertheless, in the United States in general, even though some places veer tight or loose, we have a wider range of behavior that's permissible. Even when people do that kind of stuff, you might not get as strong a reaction as you might in places like Germany or Singapore or Japan. Uh, and so it's really interesting to think about this force of social norms that affects us all the time. And that differs uh, around the world and actually in our own everyday neighborhoods. You're right. You know, some of those things would be creepy if I walked into an elevator and saw somebody standing in the corner of their head or, you know, turned around. It's like, <laughs> what's going on here? And, you know, if I may, you're the expert. You've been around the world. I'm a novice on this. But I did learn one thing I'd, I'd love to share if you got just a moment on that is mm -hmm. before I went to France many decades ago, I heard all the time. People in French are rude. They're rude. They're rude. Be careful. They're rude as people in the world. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense, you know? And 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 I did my own research on it. I thought, ah, this is not going to happen to me. So I go to France and I learn how to say hello and good afternoon and good morning. And no matter what the person did in France, I always greeted them. And I would just see this the change in front of them. They know I'm American. They're ready to whatever. And I say, hi, how are you? Or whatever in French. And they were the nice, they are the nicest people in the world. They're, I couldn't find anybody rude because they would just do whatever they wanted. And I found out that they're the nicest people in the world. And it's the Americans that are rude because, <laughs> because Americans, I watched them when they walk into a French cafe, place, store, they don't say hi. They say, what's this? How much is that? Show me this. What's, give me this. That's rude. And all of a sudden, this steel iron door comes down and that's it. And then, and I actually witnessed that firsthand. So I totally agree with you. Every culture, they have their norms and we have to understand their norms. Now, that's right. And Tony, I would just mention also that what you're talking about is really super important. And it's what we call cultural intelligence. Like a lot of us focus on IQ or EQ, emotional intelligence. But in fact, especially when traveling abroad or when you're sending a manager abroad, we need to make sure that we have cultural intelligence because people can arrive in different cultures and just basically use their own cultural programming, not realizing uh, that it's going to get them into trouble. And, and actually, we recently published a paper that showed that people who go to tighter cultures, places like Japan and Singapore, China, Germany, Austria, when they actually have more cultural intelligence, when they have personalities that are more agreeable and that are more focused on rules, they tend to adapt very well, but people who don't really suffer. So it's really important to think about the match between one's own mindset and where one is going when traveling abroad so we can avoid getting into trouble. And, and, and also leaving early, a lot of people actually on expatriate assignments when they don't have cultural intelligence uh, wind up costing businesses a lot of money and coming back early and, uh, and really um, causing a lot of uh, internal problems too for themselves having you know, not adjusted well. So it's a really important point you make that CQ in this increasing globalized world is really something we need to cultivate. Thank you. And when I 
did my collegiate and university studies again many moons. I did a cultural class. I remember back Yay. then. And the most um, startling thing is, Michelle, we use these hand signs, hand signals like thumbs up, <laughs> That's right. you know, OK sign, peace sign. And we use them without even thinking about it. But watch out. And as you said, do your research when you go over abroad, because some of these simple innocuous signs are extremely offensive out there. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about the health coach and rule makers, rule breakers with Omar Cumberbatch and Michelle Gelfand. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Join me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, as I interview elite entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities who tell us how they made it, talk about obstacles they faced and overcame, get advice and insights about leadership, marketing, sales, and all sorts of good stuff, like what technology is coming soon in the future. Go to Apple Podcasts, a.k.a iTunes and search Tony D-U-R-S-O to see my shows. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a review. I do this for you. A review from you really makes my day. And if you send me a copy at Tony at Tony dot com, I will find something to give you in addition to my heartfelt appreciation. Thanks. And I look forward to seeing you on iTunes. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Let's see what we can learn through the success of our guests today. Today's show is about the health coach and rule makers, rule breakers with Omar Cumberbatch and Michelle Gelfand. Michelle is the author of Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire the World. And now back to the chat with Michelle. Yeah, that's right. There's all sorts of um, research on not just verbal behavior, but nonverbal behavior that you know, again, if you're not aware of it, you might be flipping someone off by accident in another culture. Uh, by the way, I would say that this applies to the U.S. too. I remember traveling to the U.S. South. I write about it in the book. And the South is much tighter than New York, my own hometown, where flipping people off is pretty pretty common. It's almost like an affectionate gesture in New York City. What? Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, I remember, you know, we actually got into deep trouble in the South because, you know, this is not a gesture that's appreciated where politeness is really important. In our research, and I talk about it in the book, we find that the loose states are the most rude states in the union. The surveys that categorize states in terms of politeness, it's the tight states that are much more polite. Um, But on the flip side, we find that loose states are much more fun, and it's the tighter states that are less fun. So you have this trade-off of kind of order and politeness versus openness. And we find this across the board. Tight states... And tight contexts tend to have a lot of order, a lot of synchrony, a lot of politeness, uh, and even a lot more self-control, people monitoring their behavior and their impulses. Whereas loose states are much more disorganized, they have less order, they're more rude, they have self-regulation problems like debt and alcoholism. But on the flip side, loose contexts tend to be much more open. They're more open to different types of people, including immigrants and people who are stigmatized. They're open to ideas. They're much more creative. And they're open to change. And it's this openness that tight context kind of struggle with. And, you know, I think it's important to realize that both tight and loose bring advantages for groups in terms of order and openness. And we can kind of understand what those strengths are and what our liabilities might be when it comes to these kinds of attributes. Michelle, I kind of went in a circle. I don't know if this is a an oxymoron or not, but... <laughs> To be tight or not to be tight or loose, it sounds like each has a pro and con and each could be advantageous and disadvantageous. So now I'm a little confused. What what do we do? Is there a, 
find a median protocol that's good for our culture or what? Well, that's a great point. I mean, I, I talk about this in the book as I call it the Goldilocks principle of tightness and looseness. And the idea is that groups need to veer tight or loose for good reasons. Like I said, when you need a lot of coordination or you have a lot of threat, you need to veer tighter to organize and survive. But what I find is that groups that get too extreme in either direction, that either become really super loose and unpredictable and disorganized or really super tight and repressive, those are the groups that have a lot of problems. In my research, I can see that they have more suicide, less well-being. This principle of too tight and too loose also applies to organizations. You can think about the fact that some organizations need, need to veer tight, like United. But arguably, about a year and a half ago, they were really veering too tight, almost people following rules to without even thinking about it. And they needed to inject some discretion and flexibility into that system. It's something I call flexible tightness. On the flip side, think about places like Tesla or Uber that arguably veer loose, but were getting too loose and they needed some more structure, meaning that what I call structured looseness. So it's the extremes that seem to be problematic. And this even applies, by the way, to parenting. Uh, I'm the parent of two teenagers, so I would like to tighten up everything. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is that research shows that people that are either too tight, they're too helicopter-like, or too loose parents that are laissez-faire, they tend to produce maladaptive kids. So it's a matter of figuring out, even in our households, which domains need to be tight and which domains can be loose. And we can actually actively negotiate that. I do that with my kids, with my spouse. And we talk about this. We use the tight, loose lens to think about what's the optimal level. Uh, and um, I think that's what important point is, is that neither tight or loose are bad. They both bring strengths to uh, human groups. But when we get to the extremes, we start having problems. And we can harness the power of social norms to make a difference. As an example, you mentioned the Internet. Uh, in the book, I talk a lot about how the Internet is sort of a Wild West normless place. <laughs> you know, it's gotten to be extremely loose, even though it has a lot of advantages. And it's arguably a context that we need to start thinking about because we live online. How do we create stronger norms? How do we tighten up a little bit without losing that flexibility so that we live in a world that's civil? Because we know from my own research that people who perceive the world online to be very normless have very... Um, very much lower well-being and they're more lonely and they're more depressed. And so it's really important that we can use this concept to tighten up when we need to tighten up when things have gotten too loose or to uh, loosen up when things have gotten too tight. So it's something that is the dynamic and we as humans invented social norms. And so we can do something about it to recalibrate as needed. I love it. This is Michelle Gelfand, G-E-L-F-A-N-D. <laughs> you can find more about her at Michelle gelfand.com. I'm going to spell it. This is Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-G-E-L-F-A-N-D.com. And Michelle, I figured out that from now on, I'm just going to be tightly loose and I'll be, I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, again, all of us sort of are, have our default tendencies in terms of our tight and loose mindset. Um, and this affects a lot of our relationship conflicts. You know, it can affect conflicts with one's spouse or colleagues or kids, whether it comes to finances or how messy we are, even vacations. I mean, I don't know about you, Tony, but when you're on vacation with your extended family, sometimes there could be some tight, loose conflicts. Some people love to be spontaneous and unstructured and kind of go with the flow. And other people like to be more structured and have things planned out more. And again, we have to kind of label these conflicts as tight, loose, and then try to negotiate them so that we get a better vacations even. Agreed on that. When I take a, a vacation with the big family, it's like so much work and effort to just go get a meal, come back, see one, <laughs> see one item, one tourist attraction, and then it's time for another meal. And it's just, it's a lot of work, <laughs> but it's also a lot of fun because of all the interactions. So you see less attractions, but you have more bonding with the family. Yeah, that's right. I mean, my, I'm from New York. My husband's from Chicago. I think you're from Chicago, right? And we sort of think of ourselves as a merger between tight and loose, our cultures. And our kids get to witness those different cultures when they go on vacations with the New Yorkers. We're loud and rude and norm-violating, uh, but also, you know, pretty creative and, and fun. And with more of the, you know, kind of uh, low-key culture, more polite um, culture of the Midwest. And, and so it's fun to, you know, to kind of see those differences and, and understand where they come from. 
Michelle, if I could be so bold as to say, it appears to me, and I could be wrong, that you appear a little on the loose side. <laughs> you're a little on the loose side, but you're tight when you need to be. Well, I think that that's right. I mean, I'm an academic. <laughs> I mean, I like to think so. I think, you know, in a bit, I, I'm in the world of innovation as a scientist, and innovation is a pretty interesting process because it involves both creativity and looseness, but it involves tightness in the sense of trying to execute an idea and make it happen. And so, you know, I think that many of us that work in that kind of industry, we need to do both at different time frames. And actually, in the book, I talk about leaders who are ambidextrous. In other words, who really understand that you need both tightness and looseness in an organization and are able to help groups to understand that and manage that are really the best leaders because they're able to manage this, ten- this kind of uh, tension between having rules and breaking rules and they can do it super effectively. And so I think... Like you said, our, you know, the goal is that Goldilocks, um, we need to veer tighter or looser depending on our situation, but we also can benefit from building muscle strength uh, in, in the weaker side of our, uh, the continuum. I understand that. And way back when I first started in corporate world, back then, you could not literally say anything personal to anyone at, <laughs> or literally you would get written up. I mean, you could say, hey, how are you and walk by. But if you stopped to chat about anything that had, was not business related, you would literally get written up. Now, circle fast forward multiple decades later. I've been mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, fortunately, for, for quite some time. I hear it's pretty much the opposite. You even write about this. I've read some snippets of your book. You know, you can wear T-shirts and shoot pool yeah. and hang out at Google and, you know, and, and, and so forth. It's changed so much. It seems that it's gone from extremely tight to extremely <laughs> loose in a way, in even in the corporate world culture here. Yeah, it's such an interesting observation. And in fact, we just published a paper in a journal called Nature Human Behavior that tracked the levels of tight loose in the United States over the last 200 years. And um, we basically found, as you as you were just um, articulating, that the United States has actually gotten a lot looser over time. And what's fascinating is that that's associated with this tight loose trade-off. In other words, as we've loosened up, we've gotten a lot more creative, but we also then take a dive to some extent on order on things like debt and things like teenage pregnancies or school attendance. So um, we do see that there is a loosening up in the United States. I would say that we can also see, though, that there is some tightening in certain areas of the country. Uh, In our data, we could see, for example, that the working class tends to be much more tight than the middle and upper class. And it makes a lot of sense, again, because the working class is trying to avoid falling into poverty, has to deal with occupations that are more dangerous and neighborhoods that are more dangerous. So rules really help in those circumstances. In fact, when we ask in our research, the working class, the middle class, what kind of words come up in your mind when you think about rules? And I can ask your audience that right now. If I say follow the rules and rules, what things come up in your mind? When we give that thought experiment out to large amounts of people, we see it's the working class that finds rules to be pretty positive. And it's the upper class that thinks rules are kind of a nuisance. And, you know, in fact, the upper class has more of a cushion so it can afford to break more rules as compared to the working class. So it's important to see that, you know, we certainly have a lot of groups within the U.S., even though in general the culture's gotten looser, who do feel this sense of tightness because of the context that they're in, the disruptions that they're having in their communities. What's important also is that when people feel tight, feel threatened, and they want stronger rules, they also want more autocratic leaders who can help call the shots. That's a principle we found in a lot of our work. So before the U.S. election, we could see people who felt threatened felt the U.S. was too loose and they wanted Trump uh, to take over. And this was a dynamic we found also in France during the Le Pen election. So that's all to say that we are loosening up as a society. You could see it in our language and our dress, as you mentioned, in the kinds of things that we'll say to our parents, you know, uh, these days versus decades ago. But we do have areas where there's tightening. And it's important to understand and empathize with some of that, even in the, in the context of the United States. You brought up some great thoughts. And I think, this is my opinion, it's gone too loose. When I look outside, oh. when I walk, when I drive around yeah. my city... The growing homeless population, I've, yeah. I've, I've done events for them. I've done drives for them. It yeah. just grows and grows. I think things have gone too loose. And I think there's a detriment there where I yeah. see 
poverty. I see high debts and, yeah. and so many other things. We don't want to get into that. I think it's gone too much. So what should we do? What sage advice do you have after these years of studies? You've checked it all out. What advice could you give us that we can apply it where we work, who we work with our families and hopefully spread it out? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's just important to just grasp the language. The tight, loose language helps us to see the world in a new way. It helps us to understand ourselves and our own behavior, puzzling behavior of other people around us. And it helps us to interpret world events and global trends through a very simple lens. And so it helps to give us a little more understanding about the world around us. I think also, to your point, you know, when we start seeing things loosening up too much, we as a species need to think about how do we tighten these nor- some norms? Uh, because as we get too loose, as I mentioned, things get too chaotic and unpredictable. And we can, though. There are examples that I give in the book where groups have actually tightened norms. For example, I give a whole discussion of um, Iceland. In Iceland, to your point, was, people felt it was getting entirely too loose. Kids were roaming the streets at night. There was just, it was unsafe. There was alcoholism. And, you know, people in uh, Iceland said, you know, we're going to actually try to strengthen the norms here. We're going to come together as parents, as educators, and we're going to collectively recalibrate the norms in our context. And that's exactly what they did. And it had a huge effect. And it's a program, the Icelandic model that now is being used throughout Europe. So we can actually tighten up norms when we need to. And we can come together to do that. Uh, we can also try to loosen norms when they're becoming too tight. We see that, in, in fact, in, in various areas where we have very strong gender roles and practices that have arguably been hurtful. And so now the trick, I think, for us as humans is to really think deliberately about the kind of worlds we want to live in and how to strengthen norms or loosen them as needed. Thank you very much, Michelle Gelfand. Great book, Rule Makers, Rule Breakers. You can find her and the book at michellegelfin.com. I'll spell that again, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-G-E-L-F-A-N-D.com, michellegelfin.com. Michelle, thank you so very much for this very insightful communication here and conversation. I loved it. We got to have you back on again sometime and talk more about this. This is a great topic, and I would love to raise awareness on people and just what they're doing, where we're, where they're going, where we're headed, and so forth. This was very great. Thank you so much. And I would really love to hear from your listeners your own tight, loose stories. Uh, one of the reasons I wrote this book was to kind of hear from you, like your experiences with this contract, your conflicts, your challenges. And I've gotten a lot of people who write to me through my website. There's a place to send stories who tell me the most interesting, phenomenal stories that um, really are very uh, close to home. And I appreciate those stories so much. So please send them on. Uh, and contact me uh, if you want to discuss more. Sounds good. Dear audience, mm-hmm. please go to michellegelfand.com and tell her your story. She loves, loves to hear from you. Michelle, once again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Tony. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured a few prominent elite entrepreneurs who took their vision to reality. I hope this was as inspiring for you as it was for me to interview these great people. Tell me how you like this show. I'd love to know how you use this information to help you in your business or career. Now, we all know how important health is to us entrepreneurs. I'm appreciative to Omar Cumberbatch to spend some time with us to discuss this. There are so many takeaways that I need more time to talk about them. Here's a super tight summary. With over 100 dietary theories, the health industry has been made just too confusing. So this needs more investigation. What worked for me in the past was to eat in the beneficial category for my blood type. That worked like a charm. One thing for sure, we know that sugar is a culprit and we need to cut that down for longer and more sustained good health. And despite industry confusions, Omar is moving swiftly on his vision path to success. Can you see that? And Michelle Gelfand brought some profound points of view to us on being tight or loose and how to deal with each. Did you ever have any inkling on how diverse our cultures really are? And even within our own country? It's amazing. Have a good think on this and see what your work culture is and if that is optimum or not. What's your Goldilocks culture? What's best for your work area? While I have a ton of social media all over the place, probably the simplest and easiest way is to post something and put it on my Facebook wall at Tony S D U R S O. That makes it easy to see and reply. You can also tweet Tony D-U-R-S-O. Go ahead and do that and let's see what you got from these interviews. Now remember, 
Grab hold of your vision. Decide you're going to either start something great or take it to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision, right? You can get my vision map to help you along the process. This free book is still online. At some point, the full book will be released with much more info. But for now, get that and use that to stimulate your success. I created my empire in just a few years. That's all it took. I had the vision map as my guide. You can do it too. Please follow me on social media. You can find most of those links on the homepage at TonyDURSO.com. You can also get the vision map there. And if you have iTunes or access to any Apple device, look up my name, Tony, D-U-R-S-O, and subscribe to my show. A kind review there will get you tremendous appreciation back in return. Thanks. And remember, success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Be righteous. Join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 